What fearless, uh, what fearlessness in that man to rage against the storm. Uh, that's a video of me from Derecho, actually. Um, and uh, no, of course it's not. But uh, it was, uh, I, I love seeing that clip. I'll use it whenever I can, uh, as long as it's, it's not too inappropriate for certain crowds. But anyway, my name is Danny. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I get to be a part of Kairos. So I get to be uh, a part of this uh, wonderful night. And so I'm glad that you're here down on the floor, up in the balcony. I want to say hi one more time to our friends in Iowa City. If you could just say, hey, what's up to our friends in Iowa City on the count of three, that'd be awesome. One, two, three. Hey, what's up? Awesome. We're so glad. That, I do that so often that you all know that you're just going to finish the sentence with Iowa City, aren't you? Iowa City, do you see how much you're ingrained into our minds and our hearts? We just love you so much. Uh, hey, we are going to continue in our series tonight called Jesus Went. And tonight we're talking about Jesus going into a storm fearlessly, maybe kind of like that guy minus the American flag and a little more clothing um, in that opening clip. Jesus can fearlessly go into storms. Now, personally, for me, when I saw derecho happening back in August or any sort of other enormous, unmanageably uh, a huge storm, I mean, it can be kind of frightening, right? And what do you do? How do you go into those storms, into those situations, even when you're scared? What's the most afraid you've ever been? I was having a hard time thinking of, like, what was the most afraid I've ever been in my life? And I don't know if this is like the definite most uh, fearful moment of my life, but it's definitely up there. Uh, when, I was, when I was in college, I was working in a Bible camp, Okaboji Lutheran Bible Camp. They were here a few weeks ago. If you want a great way to spend your summer, check them out. But anyway, so I was working at this Bible camp. It's in Okaboji. And in Okaboji, there's a theme park called Arnold's Park. Anybody here ever been to Arnold's Park? We got a few. That's right. Arnold's Park is this awesome, small uh, park in northwestern Iowa. And it is the oldest amusement park in Iowa. It also has the oldest roller coaster in Iowa. Now, it's a really fun roller coaster, but it's also a terrifying roller coaster, not because it has a huge drop, but because truly, when you walk by it, it makes the same, like, eking, creaking noises that, like, the door in your bedroom makes when you're trying to close it and be really quiet at night. Just, you're like, a roller coaster is not supposed to sound like that. Anyway, so I get on the roller coaster. I'm feeling a little, uh, a little nervous, but I'm like, come on. I mean, how many hundreds of people go on this roller coaster every single day? It's going to be fine. Anyway, so they take you on the roller coaster, they take you up, and there's that, like, there's that really fun part of every roller coaster, right? That, you know, like it's taking you up the hill. I can't stand that part. This is one of those old wooden roller coasters, so it's really, I'm like, my back is breaking. And then it gets to the top, and there's actually a sign that says at the top, the point of no return. And so then you feel really scared because you're on this creaky, old roller coaster. Your back is out of place. It's how they sell for the chiropractor right across the street. You know what I'm saying? And then they just send you straight down. Now, when you go down, your body kind of lifts a little bit, right? But it's okay because you have a seatbelt. So long the seatbelt works. As the, as the roller coaster starts to dip down, I start to rise, and I'm waiting for my seatbelt to catch me. But my seatbelt broke. And so I just keep on going up and up, and I know this is the stuff that you see on like those horror shows, right? Like, a thousand ways to die. I mean, this is going to be me. And I grab on for dear life to the bar that's in front of me, because I realize this is the 
only thing I have right now. This is my only chance of survival. I was terrified, and I found the one last thing that I could hold on to to get me through this unmanageably difficult and powerful experience. I did not realize how powerful roller coasters were until that ride. Because when you are having your body flung back and forth, and it's not a matter of fun, but actual life and death, you know power, and you know scary power, and you know how terrifying it can be to feel like you're going to die. I mean, I was so scared. I'm holding on to that bar for dear life. It's all that I had left. There's unmanageable power surrounding me, and it was not working in my favor. It's hard when the unmanageable power that's surrounding you doesn't care about you, right? Sometimes life will hit you like that. It feels like it's unmanageably powerful. It hits you in waves. Have you ever been in a wave pool before? And especially the wave pools where they like to surprise you. You don't really know when the wave's coming out. And then there are the people who stand with their backs to the waves because they're the real daredevils, right? They just want to be shocked and surprised. And then the wave comes, it smashes them in the back and they hit their face and they're bleeding and it's bad, you know. It's amazing. When the unmanageable power doesn't care for us, it can be very scary. It can leave us hurt. It can leave us broken. It can leave us not wanting to move forward anymore. Rather than the gentleman in the video who charges forth into the storm, we go inside. When storms come, we go inside. Because storms are unmanageably powerful sometimes. Unmanageably powerful like a roller coaster and it doesn't really feel like they care for us. In our story tonight in Mark chapter 4, we're learning about Jesus and we're learning about him going into a storm of unmanageable power. It shouldn't have been all that surprising that there was a storm on this day because of where it was located. Jesus gets on a boat and he's going into the Sea of Galilee. Take a look at the Sea of Galilee according to Google Maps. By the way, you want to waste an hour, get lost on Google Maps or Google Earth. My goodness, it is distracting. I found that out. But here's the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. You can see some cliffs over here. These cliffs rise up to 1,500 feet above sea level. And so right here, you've got this dramatic drop. And so you've got hot air and cold air mixing. Then to make that even worse, you zoom out and you see just 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. If we zoom out a little bit, you can see that there's a mountain 30 miles. On the next slide, that's your cue. There we go. 30 miles north, Mount Hermon is 10,000 feet above sea level. You've got 10,000 feet above sea level. You've got 1,500 feet above sea level. 700 feet below sea level is where the Sea of Galilee is. That is a sitting duck waiting for massive storms to happen with unmanageable power. People were terrified of the Sea of Galilee. Terrified of it. And it goes to show people were really excited to follow Jesus and listen to Jesus and see his miracles and see his teachings. But when Jesus wants to get away and rest, when he needs a little bit of a break from people, do you know what he does? He gets in boats and he goes on the Sea of Galilee because he knows people aren't going to follow him out there. It tells us this about when Jesus goes out under the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4. As evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross the other side of the lake. So, let, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind. Most of the crowds see the scary sea and they're saying, I don't want any part of that. There's unmanageable power out there. I'd rather stay in security on the shore. It's easy to follow Jesus when he's just the God of miracles. 
when he's just the God of nice teaching lessons, when he's just the God of morals. It's hard following Jesus when he goes head first into the unmanageably powerful storm. He goes out into the water. They knew this was a scary place. Water terrified people back then. Water terrifies people today, but water really terrified people back then. I mean, I know that today there's a phobia, like people who have a, a fear, it's like thalassophobia or something like that, where people are scared of deep, uh, big bodies of water because it's scary, it's frightening, there's mystery underneath the surface. But back then they didn't really have swimming lessons, you know, so nobody was that familiar with the seas. They also didn't have goggles to wear underneath the water, so they didn't know what was underneath the water. It was scary. It's terrifying. The fishermen would come back from their, from their journeys. They'd come in, they'd be like, well, you would not believe the storm we saw out there. It's not like people just got on their boats in those days and said, let's go have a nice time out on the lake. No, it was only for people who were experts on the sea. People wouldn't go out to a place with unmanageable power. You just didn't do that. They had this idea, though, of... Uh, of who could handle the unmanageable power, of course. And in the Jewish tradition, the way, the way that they thought that they could identify who God was, was, well, only God could tame, could outpower that kind of unmanageable power that's in the sea. We see this. I mean, it's over and over again in the Old Testament. It says this in the book of Psalms. It's reflecting over a story that happened earlier with God's people. It said, even so, he, being God, saved them to honor his name and to, de and to demonstrate his mighty power. He commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. What this is saying is, we know that God is God because God is so powerful that God can control the sea. There's only one person who could possibly control that kind of unmanageable, stormy power, like the sea. It would have to be God. They've remembered what God did. They remembered God's power. And so when they would find themselves in places of fear, when they'd face the sea, when they'd face the storms, they would remember God. This goes back to a story even earlier in the Old Testament where God's people had been enslaved in Egypt. We've referenced this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. But, Jesus, but God's people had been enslaved in Egypt and God takes them out in dramatic fashion. And as they're leaving, the Egyptians decide, no, we want them back. And so they start chasing them. It's this crazy high-speed chase. Think fast and furious minus the cars and trade in some chariots instead of Vin Diesel. You've got an 80-year-old Moses. But they get to the Red Sea and they're like, oh no, it's the sea the place of unmanageable power. So either we're going to drown or we just have to go back to Egypt. What are we going to do? And then in dramatic fashion, God outpowers the sea. God splits the sea, the Red Sea, and God's people walk across on dry land. And this is what it's reflecting on. They remember God's power. It's the only way that they found it possible to deal with their fear. The only way that they found it possible to deal with unmanageable power. How could we walk out into the sea? God would have to be there. God would have to work because God's the only one who could tame the sea. This is the foundation of the Jewish faith that Jesus grew up in. They remembered this. And so, of course, when they would write poems, when they would write songs, they would use imagery that talked about this. And so we've got another example of this in Psalm chapter 69, where it says, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. 
The water, the sea, the storms, they are unmanageable in power. But I have a God who is so strong that he can even outpower the sea. I have a God who could tame water. He's powerful. And this is so important for us to remember. Because what is this psalmist talking about? The author, this poet here, where he's talking about the imagery of God, compares it to, to, to a, a, a lifeguard over water commanding what can and can't happen in there. Is this psalmist actually drowning? No. In fact, just a couple of verses later, it tells us that the psalmist simply has issues because there are people who hate this psalmist, who dislike the psalmist. We don't get the, de- the details of it, but I think that's the point. In day-to-day life, it can feel like we are drowning in this unmanageable power that is a stormy sea. And we are just holding on for dear life, looking for something that would have power to tame it, but also care for us. The only one who can do it is God. And so in Psalm chapter 89, where another psalmist reflects and says this, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue, you subdue the storm-tossed waves. Only God. Only God is gonna be the one who can help me. Only God has the power to tame waters. And these are the stories, these are the poems, these are the songs that are told over and over and over again to describe God. God is the one who could tame water. You ever try to tame water? You ever try to hold it in your hand? You've got to hold your hand so tight just so it doesn't sneak through the cracks. That's the thing about water. It's both powerful and mighty and can knock you over, but also so elusive that it could sneak through the tiniest of cracks. And yet God has this power to tame water. And while the stormy, raging seas don't care for us, they aren't very discriminatory. They just go after anything and anyone. There is this God that we can remember who outpowers the seas. And this is the God when we were faced with drowning and slavery, he made a way. When there was no way. He made a way. This power, in contrast to all the other unmanageable powers in the world, this power cares for you. It's important. It's important to remember that because no matter who you are or how prepared you are, unmanageable power hits you at some point. It surrounds you. Jesus' disciples learned that in a very rude way on this day. If we can go back into the story in Mark chapter 4, what it tells us is that there is this fierce storm that came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now we know this was a really, really big storm for one because of the language that's used. When it uses the word storm, it's using a word that's comparable to a hurricane, but then it also uses a word for fierce. And what that word for fierce is in, in the Greek, it's literally megale, which you might know is mega. So it's saying mega huge storm. Huge, unmanageable power came up. High waves began breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now it would be one thing if this was hitting some regular, regular old person who had gone out onto the water on a random day. That, they would be terrified, right? 
We don't just know that this is a terrible and devastating storm with unmanageable power because of the language that's used. We also know because of how it impacts the disciples. Take a look at this on the next slide. Here's how the disciples react. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, God. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? These are fishermen. They've stayed out on the water for days on end before. They know how to handle storms. They're prepared, but not for this. And that is such a great metaphor for life. This is a true story, but it's also a great metaphor for life. Because sometimes life can feel like it's going fine, and then it turns on us. It's not just the raging sea that is unmanageable in power. It's life itself that sometimes feels like it's unmanageable in power. And I can't move anymore. It's just hitting me wave after wave. In fact, sometimes life is so deceptive, the things that I think are good for me, the things that I think are going well for me, turn around and they end up hurting me. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just think about water. Water is something that we all need, right? Like, take a look at this plant. It's a fake plant because my wife and I only have fake plants in our apartment, and that's fine. It's because I kill everything. Plants. (laughs) We don't have, like, a dog or anything. I would take very good care. Like this plant needs water, right? But what happens if a derecho type storm hits this plant? It's done. It's done. I had an experience one time where somebody tried to explain this to me. When I was in seminary, I was working at a uh, fitness club. And at this fitness club, we had a spin class. Anybody here ever take a spin class? Yeah, all right, all right. I know we got some bikers in here. I really respect the bikers. You guys are crazy. So uh, there was this uh, spin cyclist uh, teacher and uh, instructor. Her name was Deb. And she always, always teased me saying, you got to come to my class. You, I will destroy you. You got to come to my class. What a recruiting tool, right? Come to my class. I'll ruin your life. So finally, one day, I agree. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the class. Immediately, I walk in, and I feel like a misfit. First off, everybody's wearing spandex which I felt a little bit weird on. And not only were they wearing spandex, but it's got that little pad in the butt. You know what I mean? The biker shorts. I'm like, what? It, I didn't understand what it was. I'm like, this, everybody's really strong here. They really work on their squats, I guess, you know? I get to a certain bike. I hop on. I'm ready to go. And like, I'm seeing everybody else like walk to their bikes. and They've got on the special shoes. So they're like, you know what I mean? I just don't feel like I'm fitting in. The instructor comes in. It's Deb. I've met her before. And to my surprise, she actually starts in kind of like a calming voice. She says, all right, everybody, go ahead and let's go ahead, get started. Nice and easy. Just get those muscles loose. We're feeling good. She said, oh, you feel that? And she starts walking around the room with a squirt bottle. She's like, that's a little sprinkle. Doesn't that feel nice? Let it refresh you. It's a nice little sprinkle. She walks around the entire room and sprinkles every single person. But it felt kind of nice because we were starting to work up a sweat and it felt good. But then she did this, and I will never, ever forget what happened next. She said, but you know the thing about water is, you can't control it. One day you're drinking it, and the same water that you drank to nourish your body might come down and flood form some other day and drown you. I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden, everything got serious. She twists the cap, and now it's not little sprinkles. It is direct. Okay, well, anyway, but it's coming out a lot faster, right? And she's like, oh, no. Now it's not sprinkling. It's storming in here. You got to bike through the storm. Go, go, go. She gets in my face. Go, go. I'm like, oh, damn, eh, eh, you know. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> like, what are you doing to me, Deb? And she gets really close to my face. She says, the only way is through. 
This is the only shirt I brought tonight, and I'm wet. The only way is through, she said. Like, well, good grief. Now I understand. You destroyed me. I thought that you were helping me, right? Like water was something that was helping me, but then it just it turned. But what do we do? Do we run away? Do we stay on the shore? Do we go back to where we just think it's safe? You know, storms that form on the sea, I mean, oftentimes do end up on the shore. And so even the people that day who watched Jesus go out in a boat and they stayed on the shore because they thought they were secure there, the storm very likely could have come their way too. And if it's not that one, it's going to be another one. Storms come. Unmanageable kind of power hits every single one of us. It doesn't matter how prepared you are. These disciples were experts on the sea. And they believed they were going to die. Their seatbelts were broken. And they were hanging on for dear life. It's a wild story. It's absolutely crazy. There's all these details in the story, right? Lots of different details. In fact, in this passage, it tells us uh, lots of different things on... When it says that Jesus is going out into the water, it says that uh, Jesus goes out, but there's other boats around them, and then other people stayed on the shore. It tells us that Jesus is specifically lying in the back of the boat on a cushion. It tells us lots of different specific details. At the beginning of the story, in the original Greek, what it tells us is that Jesus, as he was, stayed in the boat. He never went back to the sea. It's throwing in all these like tiny little details, right? Left and right, left and right. You're like, what, what, what's up with the details? And there's actually really probably no point to the details, but the point of the details is this is a story that people actually saw. This was real. And you can say, oh, well, no, I do that sometimes. If I want a story to sound more believable, I just throw in more details. That's an art form that didn't come in until 1,500 years later after this. So we've got Mark who's either talking about a story that he saw with his very eyes or Mark found a new form of writing that hadn't been introduced yet and then wasn't going to be touched for 1,500 more years and he's just that much of a, of a writing pioneer and he's that good, right? And nobody ever was going to do it again, but then sure enough, 1,500 years later, he's going to show up and everybody's going to do it. Or this is just a real thing that Jesus' disciples saw and lived through and experienced. Now I point that out to tell you this. This story is kind of metaphorical for our lives, I get it. The storms of life, unmanageable power, the only way is through. But it's also very real. Because our storms are very real. And if I'm going to believe that Jesus can take on the storms of my life, I need to know that he's God. I need to know that he's powerful enough to tame water. I need to know that he's got unmanageable power that cares for me. I need to know this is real. And there's all these details. Because this is a story that someone saw. And they couldn't forget it. You ever been faced with a fear that's so real? You just can't forget it. You go to sleep thinking about it. You wake up the next morning, it's the first thing on your mind. 
Psychologists say that sometimes the things that we, scare, that we fear over the most are the things that are closest to us, the things that are most valuable to us. So we start to hold those things closer and closer and closer and closer. Not only are we thinking about them all the time, we can't let them out of our sights at any time. But now here comes a biblical author who's telling a story about a solution to the fear about a worthy opponent to the unmanageable power. And he can't forget that. And so he just writes all the details. I can't forget what this looked like. I can't forget what I saw. It's real. Jesus woke up, it says on the next slide, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Again, in the original Greek, when it says there was a great calm, it is insinuating that the water itself was calm. That's odd. I mean, if Jesus just stood up and said, hey, be quiet, and the wind stopped, you could say that's coincidental, right? But if you've been out on the water before, when it's windy, you know that even if the wind stops, the water keeps moving for a while. But in the Greek, it is suggesting that the water became crystal clear, smooth. What did Jesus just do? He just tamed wind and water. And the men on this boat with him grew up in the Jewish tradition. They would have sang the songs, read the poems, heard the stories about a God who tames water. And before, Jesus was just a miracle maker. He was a great moral teacher. Incredibly wise. But now he's unmanageably powerful. Because he's more than a miracle maker. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a wisdom guru. He's God. And the disciples lose their minds. You'd think that now the disciples are feeling really good about it, but if you see this on the next slide, what it says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. It's interesting when it says absolutely terrified. In the English, that sounds redundant, but the reason why the translators have said absolutely terrified is because in the Greek, they once again use the megale word, mega, before terrified to say the horror that they felt, the mega terror that they felt matched the mega unmanageable power that was in the storm. Who is this man? I said this a couple weeks ago and I'll say it again. If you don't think Jesus is controversial, if you don't think he's going to turn your life right side up, if you don't think he hasn't come to change everything, 
then you don't know Jesus. These disciples had been following Jesus for a while now. Experts as they were on the sea, they were also experts on Jesus' personality. They could have maybe told you, what's he going to, what's the look on his face going to be like when somebody tells him a joke? What's his look of exhaustion? They'd know those kinds of things, those kinds of signs, but now Jesus has shocked them. Because when you come face to face with God, oh, it's much more than coming face to face with the Red Sea or face to face with your oppressors with the Egyptians for God's people. You're coming face to face with the one who rules over those things. And this isn't just a God who's out there and mythical and something that we try to imagine. No, this is a God who shows up in the real details of a real story. And now he's come face to face. He is in the flesh. And he didn't wake up and say, okay, now, uh, God, what I want you to do is go ahead and do this to the storm. He didn't say, okay, let me get out my wand, let me rub my hands together, let me say an abracadabra, and then the, the wind and the waves are going to calm down. He simply spoke to the wind and the waves. He said, silence. The power was only in him, not in anyone else. Jesus doesn't just have power, he is power. And the only power that exists in the universe is lent from Jesus. Who are you? Even the wind and the waves obey you. Isn't it interesting that even sometimes when the best things in life come our way, we're afraid? Maybe there's someone who really cares about you deeply and you've just pushed them away. Because it's, I don't know, too good to be true. Maybe there's an opportunity that you keep on running from. You don't know if you're going to measure up to it. I'd fill out the application, but I'm afraid of rejection. Maybe you feel this immense sense of calling in your life for something, but you just won't go there. amazing the things that we should have faith in sometimes we become afraid of what it's going to do to our life we could change everything and Jesus says yeah I'm here to change everything unmanageable power Jesus has it And it's terrifying because most of the unmanageable power that we run into in life doesn't care about us, does it? A storm? Tests? Disease? Death? Unavoidable, unmanageable power. There's a story that we talked about in the old, in last semester, and it's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Jonah. We did a series on Jonah when we were still back at the park. And I just want to reflect on that story really quick because there's some strange similarities between that story and this one. We've got Jonah who has a calling from God, and Jonah runs away. 
He gets on a boat and he goes the opposite direction that God has called him. And to get Jonah's attention, God sends a storm. And there's a storm raging around the boat. And the sailors are terrified. You see the similarities already? Jonah gets on a boat. Jesus gets on a boat. A storm crashes. A storm crashes. Sailors are terrified. Sailors are terrified. Jonah is sleeping in the boat, it tells us. Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Jonah wakes up and Jesus wakes up. And that's where it seems like the similarities end because what we see on the next slide here at the end of the Jonah, uh, at the end of Jonah chapter one is that then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. Jonah told all of them, look, the reason why there's a storm around us is because of me. I'm the problem. I'm the one to blame. And so it has to be my life for yours. And we say, okay, well, that's clearly where the story ends because Jesus didn't jump into the water, right? You know, Jesus was too powerful. He didn't have to do that. But the story is still similar. Everything in Jesus's life points to his mission. Everything in Jesus's life points to his purpose. And so it does on the raging sea. I just want to focus in real quickly here and we'll conclude here where it says this on the next slide. So I want to just go back a couple of verses where it says, when Jesus woke up. Jesus woke up, okay? After the disciples have, 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 have said to Jesus, hey, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus woke up. And he uses a word there for how Jesus woke up. And the root of that word is egere. It means to wake up, to rise. And we can just read over that and think that it's nothing, but he wakes up and he does something. He tames the seas. Then he asks his disciples, why are you so afraid? The storm's gone. Why are you so afraid? And it's as if the disciples are looking back at Jesus and say, listen, it was scary to face the storm, but now we've seen your power. That was scary, but this is mega terrifying. Because all of the unmanageable kind of power in our lives seem to care less for our souls. They don't love us. And there's not really a nice, simple, packed together ending to this story. It just ends with the disciples being terrified and asking, who are you? But remember, everything in Jesus' life points to his purpose, points to his mission. I'll go so far as to say everything in scripture, everything in humanity, everything in history points to Jesus' purpose. Jesus did not fling himself into that physical water that day like Jonah did. And maybe that's why you're thinking, well, Jesus doesn't really care that much, could he? He didn't sacrifice himself in that boat. But wait. There's an even bigger storm than physical, right? And while it's not something we can see or touch, 
it's even more real than water splashing us in the face. And it scares us. And that's the storm that Jesus walks head on into. Jesus walks into death. Head on. Unafraid. Knowing that the only way is through. And he demonstrates all of his unmanageable power for you. And sure, the book of Jonah, that's similar to this story, but take a look at these parallels because at the end of the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 16, some women show up to an empty tomb and they're scared. This was Jesus's tomb and he's gone. Where is he? They're terrified, they're scared. And an angel says to the women, don't be alarmed, he is risen from the dead. And the word for risen is egere. Maybe just a small detail, but maybe very revealing about the heart of God. You have a God who does show up in the real, actual details of life. In Psalm chapter 56, it says that there's nothing in my life that you haven't taken track of. There's not a single tear that I've cried that you haven't kept in your jar. You're using all of them. And so when the water, when the raging sea turns on me, you collect it and you use it once again for life. And if that was a real plant, it'd blossom. Maybe. <laughs> Don't be afraid of this God. Yes, his power is unmanageable, but it's used for you. Let me just finish with something real practical here. We talk a lot about faith and fear these days. How do we get from a place of fear to faith? A place of fear is a place where we watch, where we're consumed by our own thoughts and we panic. So in this story where Jesus goes into the storm, head on, some people just watch from the shoreline. But Jesus says, follow me. God doesn't promise to be safe. And I know that's a weird thing to say. God doesn't promise to be safe because God goes into storms and there's nothing safe about storms. But while not everything about God is safe, he is good. And he says, follow me, see it. So if you wanna leave faith and go into fear, stop watching and start following. Instead of being consumed by your thoughts, remember God's word. And then maybe instead of panicking, we can start to remember what God's done. 
so often we speak our thoughts instead of listening to God's word, and then we begin to panic instead of remembering what God has done. A lot of times we think faith is just all about the future. Faith is founded in what God has already done. And here's what God promises us. This is a promise that was made thousands of years ago. It says this in the book of Isaiah. It talks about even though you walk through waters, on the next slide in the book of Isaiah, what it says is, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And why? The reason is so simple. We would think that we're gonna get this big, long theological reason for why can I do this? Like we think that it has to be so complicated to get from fear to faith, but maybe it's simpler than that. The reason is actually just this, and it says this on the next slide when it finishes this prophecy. Why? Because I'm God. I'm God. Why can I tame the seas? Because I'm God, God says. And why is that good news for you? Because I'm God, God says. And why is that good news for you? Because God is with you. By definition, God being God uses God's unmanageable, unmatched power over everything for your benefit. And so I dare you, stop watching and start following. I dare you to let yourself out of your own thoughts and start listening to God's word. And if you're around for our God Mental Health series, you know, you know that we absolutely believe here at Kairos and at Hope Ames that sometimes there needs to be medical attention, professional help, and medication to help us get out of our thoughts. I absolutely support that. But let's turn to God's word. Let's listen to God's word. And instead of panicking, let's remember what God's done. God doesn't just say to the storms that day, silence, be still. He says to the unmanageable power surrounding you, silence, be still. But he says it in the storm. He says it right in the middle of the place where we think we're gonna die. Silence, be still. Follow Jesus, hear his word, remember what he's done for you, and you will go through. God might not take you out of it, but God will bring you through it because he's gone into the storm after us. He's in our boat, we're in his boat, however you wanna put it. The God of unmanageable power by definition, because he's God, the Holy One of Israel, our Savior, speaks into our life and over the unmanageable powers says, silence, be still. You must listen to me. That's how we get from fear to faith. We follow, we listen to God's word, and we remember. Let's stand and sing. Amen.